Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Welcome to another episode of SLP Talk Show. This is actually episode number 33. 33. 33, yeah. I'm Carrie. I'm here with my BFF, Jim. That's me. That's you. Yeah. You ready to do some talking? Sure. All right. I can talk. Great, great. Before we start talking about speech therapy related stuff, how about a little game of chump or champ? Yeah, I'm not feeling real confident. You're not feeling confident? I haven't done very well with this. All right. Lately. Yeah, I, I have confidence in you. I think okay. you're going to get these. Are you ready? Right. What is the highest mountain in the United States? McKinley. Correct. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Very good. Yes. Question number two. What are Seabiscuit, Black Beauty, and Shadow Facts? They are racehorses. Excellent. See, are you feeling better now? Yeah, Do I have yeah. your confidence yes. up? Thank okay. you. Thank there you for go. handpicking these. Yes. Here's here's maybe, I don't think I would get this next one. Okay. I think you might, though. All right. Because so you're much smarter than you me. Just, so. Are you just setting me up for the fall here well, at the end? Well, you just know actors. I don't know oh, like, okay. names of people. All you right. do. What famous actress was the mother of Isabella Rossellini? Um, oh. Oh, man. She was in... Um, African queen, um, what is her name? Um, um, uh, Greta Garbo? No, no, not Greta Garbo. Um, starts with an I. Her first name starts with an I. Ingrid Bergman. Correct. Yes. I'll give you half a ding instead half, of ding, half ding, a ding, ding. Yes. Okay. Very good. I would have never even gotten that. Um, what is a sound too low pitched for humans to hear called? <laughs> See, this, you just, I started you out just, easy. You put me on a pedestal. <laughs> And then you, what do you tear think? me down. Do you have any idea? I, I That was mean. I should not have done that one. Um, that is a uh, uh, an ohm. I don't it's know. an infrasound. Infrasound. Who knew? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It was on the tip well, the of my tongue. Well, the other one, would you have known the name of the lead singer of the Sex Pistols? That was your other choice. Um, was, oh, uh, Sid Vicious? Johnny Rotten. Oh, Johnny Rotten. No idea. So, anyways, okay, we'll call it two for four. How's that? So you're half a champ, half a chump. Um, okay. And we're excited that's, tonight. That's not good. Tonight we get to go to trivia. We go yeah. to pub trivia yeah, every so you're Tuesday. Yeah, so you're not making me feel real good about our I chances know, tonight. I know, I know. And, and for anyone who's a new listener... I know nothing about trivia, unless it's related to speech therapy. Uh, and so I'm the scribe. I just write down our answers. Mm-hmm. And Jim and our, our grown children. You contribute. You you throw some answers out there, uh, especially language stuff. If it's anything related to vocabulary, yeah. which are very few and far between. Yeah, yeah I have. I don't have um, a broad knowledge base. I have a very deep knowledge Remember, base. Remember, there was one literature one, and it was about... Um, Dr. Seuss, and yep. you you nailed it. Did I nail I can't it? Remember, I, can't I can't remember what remember it was. Either. Yeah, every now and then there's 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 children's there's games and toys. That's yeah. a topic every yeah. now and then. Yep. I usually get those. I'm kind of a toy connoisseur. Yes. So, anyways, all right, are you ready? Let's let's talk speech therapy stuff. Let's, and let's do that. Let's do it. Okay. So usually when 
I am in town, which isn't very often, uh, and we have the time to record a podcast episode, I usually pick the topic based on a message or a comment on one of my social media posts. Okay. And so what I want to talk to you about today is how autistic children develop language. Okay. And Jim yeah. and I were actually having this conversation at breakfast, and it was your idea to kind of turn this into an episode because it was. I'm patting myself on yes, the back right now. Yes, you should pat yourself I'm on the back. So good. I'm it's such not, a smart guy. It's not something that I um, have that I would say I specialize in uh, as far as this uh, Gestalt language processing that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I I just want to share with you my journey as a speech language pathologist and and really help you to understand that we have to be open to trying um, new things. New things, right? Yeah. Right. We need to. So so let me just get get into this because I have had some really reflective thoughts as I've been thinking about this episode. So. As an early intervention speech language pathologist, any of you who work in early intervention or even if you work in preschool, you know, working with very young children, mm-hmm. we always talk about milestones, developmental okay. milestones, right. right? And this is how we measure a, a child's developmental journey. So there's milestone charts that pediatricians use. You know, remember we used to take our kids in like right. at three months, at right. six months, at nine months of age, a year, 18 months. And right. um, as early intervention providers, we do the same thing. We look at these standardized kind of tools like the... The developmental assessment of young children. It's called the DACI. Uh, there's um, the Rossetti Infant Toddler Language Scale. Uh, there's the Battelle. There's the Bailey. There's the Help. If you work in EI, you know um, uh, what I'm talking about. These are some of the ways that we assess a child's developmental journey. And one of the things that we really need to consider if you are a professional supporting autistic children and their parents, you've got to understand this. Autistic children have spiky developmental profiles. Now, I love that term. I I don't know where I first heard it, but it's a term that many autistic adults are using to explain. That Mm -hmm. their their, uh, development uh, in general is very... uh, spiky and I just I really like that term the term I used to use uh, was scattered skills meaning if you looked at this milestone chart if you will mm-hmm. they would have you know some skills at this age range they'd have some here they'd have they'd be all over the place um, sometimes a two-year-old would have skills in the five-year-old range but they were missing some of the skills in like the one-year-old range and so as therapists we would talk about um, scattered skills. Okay. Right. And we used to consider that kids who didn't acquire their milestones in the correct developmental sequence, we would say, oh, that's a disorder. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. kids who acquired their milestones in the right sequence, but they're just behind schedule, we would say, well, that's a delay. Well, when it comes to neurodivergent children, um, uh, we really have to recognize that uh, autistic children don't acquire their milestones in the same sequence as other kids do, as neurotypical kids mm-hmm. do. Right. Okay. So yeah. one of the things I want to talk to you about then is how autistic children uh, develop language, all right, because it is different from the way neurotypical children develop language. So we have two neurotypes, if you will, two ways of being human. You can be neurotypical mm-hmm. or you can be neurodivergent. Right. And neurodivergent, if you break that word down, neuro means brain. Right. Divergent means different. So we're talking about people who have different brains, right? Different okay. ways of yeah. being Human, I love that. That's from Dr. Barry Prezant, right? So um, uh, autistic children are not broken. They're not incomplete versions of neurotypical children. We're not missing something. They simply develop differently, right? Mm -hmm. I always say autistic children 
learn differently, they communicate differently, they play differently, they process sensory input differently, they experience the world differently, and they relate to others differently. There you go. Does that yeah. describe our son in a yeah, nutshell? absolutely. I mean, so but, if you're a new listener, our son... Isn't Aaron, that wonderful, though? It's wonderful. That, that we have different brains exactly. out there, that we're not all the same. Exactly. Our 17-year-old son... the goal isn't to make everybody the same? No, exactly. Our 17-year-old son, who will be 18 tomorrow. Can you believe it? I know. Our baby's oh going to be gosh. 18. Holy cow. Um, but our 17-year-old son is autistic, and he has taught us so much, hasn't he? Oh. About just everything. Worlds of information. Worlds of information. It's it's so fabulous. And so, yes, what we need to do is recognize um, that all brains are beautiful, right? right. What does the t-shirt say that I have about neurodiversity? Neurodiversity makes the world a brighter place. Yeah. Right? It, it's so true that, thank goodness we're all different, right? right. Thank goodness right. we're not clones of each other. How yeah. boring and how unproductive the world would be if everybody was exactly the same. Right. So, yes. So, we embrace neurodiversity, okay? So, what we have to understand, and this is what being a neurodiversity-affirming provider, therapist, parent, uh, teacher, whatever, what that means. It means we recognize that autistic children are wired differently. They have different brains from neurotypical children. So, they're going to develop differently, right? It's not better. It's not worse. This is one of my favorite sayings. Autism is neither good nor bad. Autism is. Yep. How's that? Autism is. Is okay. Right. It is a different way of being human, but um, it's not a, a, a tragedy. It's not. It's not something that we need to. Um, we, we're not in the business of fixing broken children, right? As a therapist, right. that's not what I do for a living. So, yeah. um, what I want to chat about is language acquisition. And as speech language pathologists, um, those of us who are really making an effort to learn to continue to grow right grow our brains right we don't stop growing Mm -hmm. our brains when we graduate right Right. we have to continue to recognize that we don't know everything that there's constantly research being done right and that when we know better we do better right yeah thank you to Maya Angelou for some version of those very important words right that we have to continue to allow ourselves to grow so when we say things like oh but we've always done it that way Right. This is how I've always uh, done speech therapy with autistic kids. Um, that's I have a problem with anybody saying, but that's how we've always done it. Right. Because yeah. evidence based practice means you're always looking at what we now know. Right. Because we are constantly learning and growing and finding the best way and finding the best way. So here's what I will tell you is as uh, an early intervention speech language pathologist, I have been a practicing SLP for over 26 years. So over two decades. And I was always, I guess, I always struggled with why autistic kids didn't make progress with language, okay? You Mm -hmm. give me a kid with a language delay, Mm -hmm. give me a kiddo um, with a praxis of speech, you know, give me any of, uh, give me a kiddo with Down syndrome, any, any, any diagnosis at all. And as an early intervention SLP, I felt like I knew how to support their language, their speech and language development. Okay. But when it came to autistic children... Um, what we know about autistic children, uh, especially when you work in EI or working with very young children, they tend to use a lot of echolalia. Okay. You've heard of that term? Yes. Echoing, right? Echoing what other people say, parroting. That's what sometimes people will say. And we were always taught in grad school, uh, if you're at least an old SLP like me, I graduated from grad school in 1995, we were taught that echolalia is pathologic in nature that it's something we need to eliminate we need to Mm. extinguish it because it indicates it's meaningless right that echolalia is just repeating that it has no meaning behind it is it because it stands out as weird 
Yeah, well, I think ways. I think it is. It's it's I like mean, oh, he's just so. If I were to ask a child a question, um, uh, do you want a cookie? And an autistic child would repeat back verbatim, "Do you want a cookie?" Everybody assumed that meant oh, he doesn't understand. He's just yeah. parroting. or it was construed as being weird. Construed, back then. absolutely, absolutely. And, and, so you know, the goal was then to mask that. Exactly, because we didn't, we used to think our goal was to make autistic kids act less autistic. Right. Right. That was our ultimate goal. Right. And unfortunately, some people still practice that way, but that means you're not neurodiversity affirming. If mm-hmm. you're a neurodiversity right. affirming speech language pathologist, you're not teaching uh, autistic kids to mask. You are embracing their differences. You are focusing on strengths and interests, and you are building on those. So mm-hmm. instead of fixing deficits, right. we are building on strengths. So we have strengths. to move away from words like weird into different into different yeah even move away from deficit oh what are his deficits right. no they're, they're differences right we, right. we don't right. say and that's why i mean just as a side note autism spectrum disorder is the technical medical label but those of us who are neurodiversity affirming we call it autism or autism spectrum mm-hmm. i would never say disorder it's a different way of being human and i mean our son has a disability and there's nothing wrong with you know disability is not a bad word mm-hmm. but he's not disordered he's just simply right. different right? right so yeah. um let's talk a little bit about how neurotypical uh, non-autistic children uh, acquire language. They develop language um, uh, using what's called analytic language processing. Okay, so these are analytic language processors, which means I know it sounds fancy, but it just means they start out by babbling, a mama, 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 and the mom goes, "Yes, I'm mama," and the baby goes, "A mama, mama, mama," and the mom keeps over and over going, "Yes, I'm your mama." And one day, around nine, ten, eleven, twelve months, the child says, "Mama," for the first time. Right, mm-hmm. so they go from babbling to producing a single word. Okay, this is single, how, single word. Single word. Mama. Say, yes, I'm your mama. And maybe in a, in a few months, then the baby says, mama, up. You're like, oh my gosh, you put two words two together, words. right? And then it goes into... Um, uh, Mama go bye bye, right? So now we're getting three words, right. and then it moves into phrases. So and it eventually, keeps progressing. Yes, it's it's it builds on itself, right? Okay. It starts out as single words, moves to phrases, and eventually sentences until we're in full conversation. So when we are dealing with analytic language processors, we as speech language pathologists, we know strategies to support these language learners. We use something called some of the strategies we use: uh, self talk, and self talk is where you describe what you're doing. I'm washing, you know, the dishes. I'm putting on my hat. It's Mm -hmm. just describing what you're doing. Parallel talk is where you describe what the child is doing or seeing. Okay. So you're saying things like, oh, you're stacking the blocks. Oh, you're eating a cookie. Okay. Um, We use sentence expansion. So if the baby said, the child says, um, you know, block and you say, oh, blocks are up high. Right. So we add one or two words to their, their utterance. What we tend to do is we, we act like narrators, kind of like a sportscaster, where mm-hmm. you just simply you you literally narrate the life of the child as it unfolds around unfolds around them, and you pause at appropriate places, right. and the child like imitates you and 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 begins to develop language. Does mm. that make sense? Those right. are strategies that we use. The problem is when we try to use these analytic language processing strategies with autistic children, they echo when I say things like I'm putting on my shoes and the autistic kid goes, I'm putting on my shoes and you're like, no you're not. And the autistic kid goes, no you're not, right? So you right. get the, and you were like, wait a minute, this doesn't work. Like modeling language 
mm-hmm. the way we're taught, narrating like a sportscaster, the right. way we're taught doesn't work with autistic children. So I'm telling you, at least for me, maybe I'm the only SLP who struggled with this. I can't believe that's true, though. So many of us were like, how do we help autistic kids develop language, right? Because yeah, it's, the our strategies are right. not working. So now... Thanks to some amazing work by some amazing SLPs, what we're beginning to understand is that autistic children, and there are some non-autistic children too, but, but autistic children, most of them are what we call gestalt language processors. That's a cool word. Isn't it? Gestalt. Yeah. It's very German. Gestalt. Gestalt, right? G-E-S-T-A-L-T. And gestalt means, I actually Googled the actual definition because I'm somebody who likes the etymology of words. I like to understand what they mean. So gestalt means an organized whole that is perceived as more than the sum of its parts. Whole with a W. W, yes. Okay. Some of its whole, meaning, so gestalt language processors, what's so interesting about them is they start with whole memorized or echoed phrases and sentences. They don't start with single words like analytic processors do. These kids mm-hmm. come out with these huge scripts. They're often jingles from TV commercials. Mm-hmm. They're often lines from movies. And they are they are huge. Um, oftentimes, they're very long scripts. Right. But what's so interesting is the intonational pattern is intact, right? So however it was spoken in the movie, however it was spoken in the commercial, right. however they heard their parent you know, utter that phrase or whatever, they tend to... Uh, echo not just the words but also the intonational do you remember what aaron used to say like when we were leaving church when we were leaving church pastor oh thank you from pbs oh yeah oh yeah one of my favorites is we were literally leaving church one day this is one of my favorite stories i haven't told this in a long time and aaron was what three years old i don't know you know a very very young child didn't really have any um, meaning any i hate to say meaningful he didn't really have any language that we understood why he used it because i didn't you know again we, we viewed echolalia as being not meaningful mm-hmm. right but so he didn't say a lot of single words like he didn't say mama or dad at that nope. point but literally the pastor was like hey aaron i like that dinosaur on your shirt because aaron had a dinosaur on a shirt and aaron didn't know he had a dinosaur on a shirt and aaron didn't care that he had a dinosaur <laughs> on a right. shirt but the pastor made some comment and so i feel like aaron thought i need to respond and aaron literally without missing a beat said thank you to pbs viewers like you and he had went on whatever that yeah, um from but- pbs kids yeah it was some long right. script it was, it was probably 20 words long. yeah and and the pastor just looked at him and i go have a nice week and we just yeah, kind of walked yeah. on because i was like yeah but i'm was, not gonna explain that yeah, we'll hold like, up the line exactly, for 20 exactly. minutes here so aaron our son used to use these really lengthy scripts and oh, we yeah. were like why is he saying that right now right? right so this is what is so important to understand is that gestalt gestalt language processors they start with these whole memorized or echoed phrases and then over time with the help of knowledgeable speech language pathologists, parents, teachers who understand how to support Gestalt language processors, we deconstruct those long scripts over time. So you take them and you break them down. Break them down into parts. Yes, and break them down into individual parts that can then be mitigated and used in different ways. Hmm. So if you have a kid who says, um, maybe he, he echoes, um, let's go to the park because maybe the parent said that, right? So every time he is wanting to go somewhere fun, he says, let's go to the park. It doesn't always mean let's go to the park. 
this is the thing gestalt language processors you can't always take their language literally it's how they felt in that moment so if the kid says let's go to the park and you're like no we're going to grandma's house well he's still just as excited about going to grandma's house as he was about going to the park so the child says let's go to the park and everybody's like now he's confused we're not going no he's not confused you can't take it literal right? right so we might take let's go and we might try to mitigate that with other things. So let's go to lunch. Let's go to grandma's. Let's go to Pizza so you just Hut. Just take a part of it. Yeah. So you, you it's deconstructing, oh, right? Okay. It is deconstructing these long scripts and and teaching the child how to break them down into individual words and then reconstruct them into self-generated language so, instead of echoed. So you have to use what they have. You have to use what they have, and that's what we didn't do okay. as SLPs. We were never trained to actually build off the echolalia, to view the echolalia okay. as a gateway to functional communication so is it that they have that pathway built in their brain to I mean, that? who knows yeah if there's something if there it's a different way of processing language instead of from small to whole gestalt processors start from whole to small okay it is okay. a different way wow. of processing language okay so um as an yeah so so for years and years and years again, as SLPs, as early intervention providers, we're like, why isn't this working, right? Why are the strategies we're using to support language not working? So now we're listening to and paying attention to some of the amazing work by speech language pathologists such as Marge Blanc, uh, Barry Prezant, Lillian Stiegler. Uh, there's also these amazing accounts on Instagram. I'm just going to give a shout out to at Meaningful Speech and at uh, boho speechy and I will make sure to reference them in the show notes because I'm not claiming to be some kind of expert on gestalt language processing um, but I'm certainly listening to those who are okay yeah, and that's what that's I'm encouraging great. all of our listeners to yep. do is to read and focus on the people who are um, specializing because it's about the community it, making it, a difference yes you know, it is all about of us making together. a difference all of us together that is that is beautiful so here's what i want you to consider about gestalt language processors okay we're going to view echolalia as a pathway to functional communication instead of viewing it as pathologic in nature mm-hmm. okay um uh we are going to really look at um the communicative strategies to support gestalt language learners instead of saying oh this is wrong we're going to uh, recognize that there are different stages of gestalt language processors and we're going to learn from those who can can teach us about that okay um again i just want to reiterate that one of the important components of intervention for gestalt language learners is helping them break down their larger language units into smaller language units and showing them how to construct original or what Marge Blanc calls self-generated, self-generated language instead of echoed, right? That's okay. what we're doing is we're going to teach them how to do that. So there is just, I don't know, I just feel like this is something we have to acknowledge um, that there are different ways, two different ways of acquiring language and that autistic children often do not benefit from our traditional language stimulation strategies. Makes sense. Doesn't it? And I think, gosh, if I would have known this, Jim, when Aaron was a toddler, our mm-hmm. son was a toddler. Oh, I know. I just, again, this isn't... And then we wouldn't have been so concerned about some of these things. Yeah, because everybody thought... um, Because then we would know that he's developing. It's just that he's doing it in a different way. Different. You know, and it would... you wouldn't lose, lose sleep at night. Exactly. Thinking Remember about it. His, his very first script that he used, and he used it all the time. And we just, he'd always say, are you okay? Yep. 
Are you okay? Mm-hmm. And I think that was, obviously one of us asked him at one point in a very caring way, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And so that was his way of initiating an interaction, right? right. Instead of saying hi, or come play with me, mm-hmm. or I'm hungry, or I'm thirsty, he said, are you, you okay? okay? Yeah. And so everybody would answer him literally. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Are you okay, buddy? And he'd walk away and we'd be like, okay. Because we didn't know. We didn't know about right. gestalt language processing, right? So I just want everyone, whether you're a parent, whether you're an SLP, an educator, whatever your role is, a grandparent, we just need to continue to listen. We need to learn. And, and, and we just need to recognize that autistic children learn differently. Right. And we're going to identify strategies that will help them become the best version of themselves, not trying to make them act like neurotypical kids. Right. Well, isn't that what the goal is for education in general? Yes, it should be. It should be. To make everybody the best version of themselves, of what they're going to achieve. Yep. And and we base it on their strengths. We base it on their interests. Right. right? Instead of saying, oh, we need to fix all your deficits. We need to look at all these isolated skills out of context and teach you one at a time, um, you know, these isolated skills. No, 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 no. We're going to build off of what you are good at. Right. And I love the, the Tom Brady commercial where the... The, the, he's writing a letter to a kid. Yes. And he says, you know, and I hear you're the next Tom Brady. And he said, you're not the next Tom Brady. You're the next you. You. I love that. And I think that is, in a nutshell, what oh, we're talking about here, right? Makes... We're, we're trying to make we're trying to make best versions of whoever you are. Of each individual, right? Yes. It's, it's each one of us matters, right? It's not about making us all act the same, like the same things, right. you know, uh, yeah. gosh, there is beauty in diversity. Right. There is. So much beauty in diversity. Okay. It's wonderful. And diver- uh, neurodiversity, biodiversity, I mean, all the diversity, diversity in general makes the world a brighter place. We need I believe to- that's yeah. 100% true. Oh, okay, Jim. This has been so fun. So thank you guys for listening to another episode of SLP Talk Show. If you're enjoying the podcast, as always, we appreciate um, your feedback. We appreciate a five-star review. Now get back out there into the real world. Be kind, be accepting, and please get your mammogram. Early detection can save your life. It certainly saved mine. As a 10-year breast cancer survivor, I am here to say, until we meet again, cheers.